and welcome to episode 11 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am Freeloader, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Sabaiku and Arthas. Sabaiku, how is it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I am doing very well, actually. Glad to hear that. We are the Brood Sages, and as a reminder, you can always contact us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of those of you who used to play Tetris on your TI-85, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. So guys, this week we have our second meta report out. Arthas, remind us a little bit of what is the meta report? Why do we have it? So we have what we call the uh, BS meta report. BS short for Brood Sages. It's also kind of funny as an acronym. But uh, right, the purpose of this meta report um, is to uh, educate the uh, Stormbound community of what the meta is like. Um, mostly focusing towards like the uh, gold and platinum leagues and a little bit of diamond, but it's it gives a really nice summary and visual of what is strong right now. What kind of archetypes? What kind of factions? And the way we get this kind of data is we have uh, surveys sent to a uh, dedicated uh, meta report uh, reporters, <laughs> and. Uh, we answer questions such as like, oh, what are the most common archetypes that we find? What kind of factions? And then after we gather like the most common archetypes, we end up um, ranking what we believe and also from our like experience, um, what kind of archetypes would prevail over the others and if eventually getting like an overall power visual on like which archetypes are the strongest and also most played. So having this meta report really gives a a very nice summary of what the meta is like in Stormbound recently. And Spikey, what what are uh, if you're gonna load up Stormbound right now? What can you expect to see, and what should be what should you be planning on countering right now? You should be prepared to counter the three most popular decks in the game, which are Winter Control, Ironclad Midrange, and Swarm Rush. And Swarm Rush is unsurprising. A lot of people use that as their go-to for trying to rank up. You get those games in fast, and you get to outrush your opponents even if they are overleveled for you. So those are the three most common archetypes. It doesn't mean that that's all that you'll see, and you'll you'll certainly see some variation amongst those, uh, but that's what you should expect. Looking at our relative power rankings, we now have two Tier 1 decks up from last month. We have Winter Pack Control, but the top spot has been taken by Ironclad Midrange, and these growth-focused, usually construct-based or dragon-based or both Ironclad decks are definitely a response to the winter meta that we saw last month. Uh, you know, as we talked about on the episode where we first discussed the meta report and what we were trying to do with it, we we talked about how that mid-range archetype counters the control archetype really well by just putting too much value on the board units that are too big and too hard to clear easily and i think you're seeing that here with the rise of ironclad in our power rankings uh interestingly our third deck which is sitting at the top of tier two is a shadowfen mid-range deck so uh while it may not be the most popular played deck right now it still does a good job of countering the winter deck and can hang on its own with an ironclad midrange. Uh, following that in tier two, you have Shadowfen Rush, which again punches up and really stands a good chance against all of the most popular decks right now. Uh, ironclad Control, Swarm Rush, Ironclad Rush, and um, Winter Pack midrange is the bottom of tier two in our rankings. But uh, Arthas, I'll let you talk about that. How has your Winter Pact mid-range freeze deck been working for you? Uh, I'm still working on optimizing them because uh, it is a very different kind of playstyle than I'm used to. I mean, I'm usually a control player and uh, playing something that's not as obvious of a mid-range as like Ironclad with like buffing. Winter Pact mid-range, I focus on putting large bodies like things like Rhyme or Prowlers or Mistwives and just converting the mana gained from like Zivana and the kind of uh, value you get from Freeze into just a lot of tempo. Um, it's it's still very competitive, definitely, especially in the top. It's still really competitive, but it's definitely not as strong as the top three we have being like Ironclad Midrange, Winter Pack Control, 
and shadow fan midrange, but it's definitely capable of winning games when you really try your hardest. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know that's what people should take tier two to be right is mm-hmm. they're not the most optimized and powerful decks in the meta but if you're good at them you certainly can get to the highest ranks using them yeah for sure so uh arthas uh walk me through how you think the sheepyard balance changes at the start of this month have impacted the meta given how different this meta report looks from last month's I mean, Shadowfen midrange got hit pretty hard with the Reign of Frogs nerf, especially level 5, because now that it's uh, 2 mana instead of 1, it has much less pressure in the early game, especially with things like Brogda decks or uh, even Kindred's Grace or Klaxi. It's still very, very strong, but it really seems like a Shadowfen midrange, especially its popularity, not necessarily its power, because you can't doubt the kind of strength that Shadowfen midrange with Toad's Fam can really do. But in terms of popularity, it's definitely decreased. I mean, looking at the meta report, um, seems to be like the, uh, what is it, fourth, fifth or so most common archetype seen in the meta so far. Still definitely really strong, but that uh, that nerf really uh, got a lot of people, especially when I read in the Discord uh, what their opinions are and experience with it. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people say it ruined their uh, play style with mid-range when it got nerfed. But it was definitely uh, overdue. Definitely deserved it. But other things like um, like with Freeze, uh, the Freeze rework now being able to silence units and the rework to uh, Icicle Burst that now I can freeze, it, it very, I'm pretty sure that those two changes alone like um, made it so that something like Winter Pack Midrange and Freeze or even Winter Pack Control now has definitely like, shot up in terms of the meta because of how much impact these cards now have relative to other stuff yeah we were seeing virtually no winter pack mid-range last month right mm-hmm. and now yeah, suddenly exactly. it's it's a tier two deck mm-hmm. i'm see it's really nice that i'm not seeing winter Aaron all the time even when i like when i battle against winter i i see them play some freeze and then some really big bodies like the mid-range that you are uh, you're uh, used to seeing it's really it's really nice to see an, a different kind of archetype now that freeze is much more viable and uh one more thing um with the cordia buff with now it costing uh six mana instead of seven uh we can see a rise of shadowfen rush it is very very uh close to the power level of shadowfen midrange and i can definitely agree with this especially in my own experience uh cordia is really really powerful in a shadowfen rush deck and i'm seeing a lot of uh, success from other people too in the discord admittedly coming from three shadowfen players uh definitely my choice for the meta breaker if you're looking to try to sneak out some games against a winter pack control deck if you're looking to try to outrush an ironclad mid-range deck and still provide good flexibility against the swarm rush that's very prevalent shadowfen rush is definitely the way to go yeah and the 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 advent of cordia so a lot of these decks i know the deck recipe that sabaiku and i used to run was uh it topped out at six with harry chestnuts um and harry chestnuts was a fine card for the deck a little too value oriented um you rarely could afford to play it on six because you needed to apply additional pressure and just one large unit was never adequate no it was something you played on eight or nine mana when the game got away from you when you were looking to just chip your opponent down to finish him off right a lot of times you you wouldn't play it you you would throw a runner in to knock him to four or something like that and then you would play it next to a unit that was already out play toxic sacrifice on the other unit and then hit end turn and let your opponent's unit hit it for the last little bit um cordia is just better it, it, it it's it's egg spam instead of toad spam but that's fine because you, you know as a rush deck you just want to put more stuff on the board than your opponent can afford to clear and i have to tell you there is something so satisfying about on turn five playing something like uh, i'm just making you know helio troopers rain and watching your opponent uh respond with bladestorm and then you just say okay well i'll just cordia now <laughs> It's so good that I was basically running the same deck in the Dragon Brawl. Cordia was my only dragon, and it worked out just fine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, with that, I think this is a nice... Because we've talked a little bit about 
tempo and value, I think this is a nice segue into the main discussion that we want to have tonight. Um, we'd like to have a discussion about the difference between tempo and value, specifically how it relates to Stormbound. All right. And the purpose of having this conversation is a lot of you have posted your deck list on Reddit or in the Discord, and you've received um, very good, uh, but very concise uh, uh, feedback of lower your mana curve and add a finisher. Uh, and while that may not be wrong, we want to have a conversation about how to build a deck that is either an aggressive tempo-oriented deck or a control value-oriented deck and what those two terms mean, tempo versus uh, value, but also um, how to understand how to balance the two because in a mid-range deck, there should be a balance between the two. Okay, so for the purpose of this discussion and and how we're going to use these terms, let's try to think of tempo. Sabaiku, walk me through what is tempo in Stormbound? Tempo is board presence. Tempo is putting as much stats on the board as far forward as you can. And you're trying to convert your resources into stats as efficiently as possible and try to beat out your opponent that way. The board situation, what you see presented to you will tell you what to prioritize. Do you prioritize moving two or do you prioritize putting something a little bigger on the board? Do you prioritize trying to flood the board or put one strong unit down? Those are decisions that you have to make in game. But in general, tempo is focused on putting stats on the board. I, I would I would amend that with putting stats as far forward on the yeah, board so that, as possible. That comes right? with a strength and movement. You know, I think between the two of, let's say, both five health, Lawless Herd is a five health, two mana unit. Recruits could also be a five health, two unit, mana unit. One of those moves it forward. It's a more aggressive, more higher tempo play to play one of the two just because it's moving that front forward, right? So there's, there's a- definitely a trade-off between stats and movement, right? Like you said, Lawless Herd and Gifted Recruits. Lawless Herd is six strength at level five. Gifted Recruits is five strength at level five. One moves one, one doesn't. If you look at the four mana slot, I think there's some really obvious examples, right? Cabin Girls is a zero movement versus Gold Grubbers. That's one movement versus Warfront Runners. That's two movement or Rapid Mousers. That's three movement. And you see this the strength steadily decline as the movement increases. Yeah, to the point of uselessness in Rapid <laughs> Mousers. <laughs> and I would argue uselessness in the case of Cabin Girls also a lot of the time, right? Like yeah, the extremes... Yeah. The extremes are situational, but in general, something that moves one or two and also has a decently sized body for the mana cost. And that's something that I prioritize as a as a rush player focused on tempo. I tend to focus on stats per mana cost. Mm, yeah, very good point. Combined with the movement. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think if you're building a tempo-oriented deck, thinking about it in terms of a ratio of stats to mana is a good way of at least starting that build, right? And if you want to think about stats for, for mana, if you look at something like uh, Gifted Recruits is 2.5 at level 5 strength per mana. Okay. Green Prototypes is 5 to 1 strength per mana, right? Like, that's a huge discrepancy. The cheaper movement, uh, the, the cheaper unit has the same movement, but a much higher strength to mana ratio. Sure, it has a drawback, though. It does have a drawback, absolutely. But when you're just playing it for tempo, you don't actually care about the drawback. For sure. Definitely one of the most common questions from newer players why would i put this in my deck it doesn't do anything well the answer is it gives you tempo it gives you it gives you movement and it gives you strength on the board even though there's a drawback it's still worth it you know if you look at something like hearth guards or linked golems right those are cards that have a drawback you have to meet the condition of either having a structure on the board or having another construct on the board but if you can meet that condition it's a high tempo play you get 
big stats for the mana and you get movement as well. Right. And now that we've talked a good chunk about tempo, which we will uh, expand on later, on the other side of the of the Stormbound gameplay, there are also uh, there is also value that is very important in terms of uh, understanding the game and what to do. Now, what we have here is that value is defined as gaining a resource advantage over your opponent. So these kind of things include uh, investment cards, things like a true shot, where they don't actually give too much value or tempo in the beginning, but definitely uh, ramps up over time as uh, as it um, deals damage while you know as it survives. Other other cards like even uh, like Frozen Core, that one is more of an investment. But it gives you that explicit resource advantage being in the case of mana. And this is the kind of stuff that uh, you see with value. More common types of value would be cards that really uh, focus on clearing the board. Things like a lot of AoE or a lot of single target damage. These are the kind of things that don't necessarily give you a lot of tempo in terms of like strength or movement. But it definitely denies the opponent their own tempo and also gives you a lot more um, <laughs> value for the kind of mana that you're expending. So we will we'll try to compare the different kind of priorities and impacts you find from doing a tempo play versus a value play and what kind of uh, significance those two affect on whatever archetype you're playing or playing against. Right. And so to, to talk through this, we need to define what the resources in the game are, right? There's um, several resources in the game. Uh, the most, uh, the three that we'll talk about are um, uh, mana, cards in hand, and your health, right? Your health is, in fact, a resource. Just ask anyone who plays Broken Truce or, you know, <laughs> Restless Goats. Um, it's something that you can expend, uh, and certain cards allow you to do so positively. But for the time being, let's focus first on the most obvious, which is uh, mana, all right? You can only do so much uh, with each turn, uh, and that's defined by the mana, which increments up every turn. There are cards that allow you to directly manipulate uh, mana. The, we've we've complained about several of them, Gift being one of the biggest, and of course Gift uh, being even more broken when you can play it early uh, with Aaron. So, so uh, cards that allow you to add to your mana pool on a given turn are incredibly powerful, but they do nothing on their own for helping you win the game. They are value plays. So... Uh, Thinking about it from another play, uh, from, from another way, uh, uh, tempo cards that play around with mana would be uh, uh, cards that are overpowered for the mana cost because of a drawback. I'm thinking of things like Heliotroopers or Dubious Hags, right? Things that um, maybe benefit your opponent potentially, not necessarily, uh, but it's the, the units are high tempo. They give you tons of stats on the board, maybe even moving forward because of that drawback. Green prototypes, uh, as Sabaiku already uh, mentioned, I've often, uh, when I've coached people uh, building decks, to think of green prototypes in general as a one mana move your front. Like if that was the, if it was a spell that was just one mana move your front forward one, you would certainly consider playing it. The fact that sometimes it could actually clear a unit for you is fantastic. That's a, a whole extra bonus on top of it. But thinking about it in terms of tempo, it's putting stats further forward on the board for one mana. That's a fantastic play. It's cheaper than it should be because of the drawback. So tempo cards can manipulate mana as well. They do so by giving you this sort of drawback kind of idea. Um, in terms of value examples of manipulating, we've mentioned a couple. Aaron, Gift, uh, Queen is another one that was a pretty big offender. It still is a pretty large offender. It's just not seen as much because the combination with Bucks is missing. Um, and, and certainly a lot of the towers. Although I would suggest, and we'll talk about this next, Sabaiku, 
that towers can be thought of as card advantage because most of the towers effectively are playing a card for you at the start of your turn in perpetuity. Sort of. I think that does depend on the tower, but I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, So let's talk about your cards as a resource. This is a little bit odd to consider because your cards aren't really a resource, right? Everyone starts with 12 in their deck. Everyone has four in their hand at once. And sure, you can cycle one of those out to try to get a new one. But it's not a resource, right? (laughs) I think it is. Absolutely. Right. Playing more cards than your opponent, even when you're spending the same amount of mana on those cards, is a tempo advantage. If your opponent plays one five mana card and you play a three mana and a two mana, you've probably put more stats on the board than them. And you've probably distributed those bodies in a way that's harder for your opponent to react to and remove. Um, You know, in general, we talked about the strength to mana ratio. In general, the strength to mana ratio for cards that are lower in mana cost is better. So you get more stats and more tempo by playing more cards. You know, that the popular deck advice is lower your curve and add a finisher. This is the lower your curve part of that. If you can play more cards in a turn than your opponent, you will have an advantage in tempo. Um, On the other hand, from a value side of things, if you can play something like Bladestorm, you're probably removing multiple cards that your opponent has played with one card of your own, allowing you to do other things with the remainder of your mana. If you play something like Freebooters, you can play more cards than your opponent. Your opponent plays four, you play six, you have an advantage. Um, or something like you talked about Queen of Herds Freeloader. It, it plays extra cards for you on your turn. You put down one card, all of a sudden, one or two more pop out of your deck. Like that's That's a great example of value on the card advantage side. It's interesting you bring both of these up because I I actually wanted to contrast those two. Queen is effectively a guaranteed value play every time she's in your hand because, A, you can cycle away any satyrs that are in your hand. Well, a tempo play. Well, well, yes, that's true. But, But I'm talking in terms of, yes, she will put an amazing amount of tempo on the board, but she's almost guaranteed to always play two or three cards. She herself plus the other two. Whereas something like Bladestorm is capable of being a phenomenal value card. One of my cards could take away three or four of the ones you've already played off the board, depending upon levels and remaining strength of those units, correct? But it also can be a dud. Absolutely. It depends on your opponent actually doing something with it. And I think there's a difference between card advantage in reactive cards and card advantage in proactive cards. Right. Right. Queen is proactive. You can always play it. But also, she doesn't move. The units that she pulls are likely to be not defensive in their nature. So you cannot play her reactively to save you and bail you out of a bad situation either. So there's certainly pros and cons either way. And you got to think about that when you're putting your deck together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, To your point about the towers... Something like a True Shot Tower or a Siege Assembly, those structures are providing you zero tempo when you play them. They don't actually do anything when you put them down. They don't trigger until your next turn. But when they do trigger, they provide a card advantage because they are essentially removing a unit that your opponent has played or dealing damage to their base in the case of Siege Assembly if your opponent chooses not to put anything in the path um, and providing continual value by basically taking a card out of your opponent's hand. Your opponent always has to be thinking, am I going to throw my green prototypes or my gifted recruits ahead one row so that the true shot will remove it? If that's the case, then they're basically playing a three-card hand as opposed to your four-card hand every turn. And that's that's a powerful advantage. That's exactly right. uh, One of the cards that they play onto the board every turn gets negated for free as long as that true shot or siege assembly stays up, which is a huge card advantage uh, when it gets to snowball over multiple turns. It really can turn a a game around. Now, I want to talk about the... uh... 
I guess the last but not least uh, type of resource, a little less, uh, a little more implicit, but uh, your base HP. I know I've talked about this in the previous episode, how sometimes intentionally letting an enemy unit walk into your base so that you have a better time of clearing in the next turn may actually be the best decision that can uh, save you and win you games. Like, um, instead of expanding one card to like clear maybe like a like a five strength unit on your base you could maybe ignore that five strength enemy on your base and uh, choose to put that card elsewhere in a position that's much more uh favorable to you like the second row when you're defending having that unit walk into your base it's kind of like using your base as a way of dealing with that enemy instead of devoting an entire card for it and that is one kind of one of the more obvious ways of uh using your base hp as a resource but there are other more um not so obvious ways of using base HP. Uh, example would be something like Restless Goats. Uh, Restless Goats being two mana, two movement, and having five strength at level five, that is some absurd stats to its mana ratio. But the reason why it's so absurd is because of that scary kind of drawback where that if Restless Goats die, it takes HP from your base. So if we really think about it, Assuming the Restless Goats has, have done their job and did the damage and died, it's kind of like you're actually spending not just 2 mana, but 2 mana and 2 HP from your base. And that's why it has so much tempo given with the, uh, the strength and the movement for its very low mana cost. And that, I mean, that's from the Swarm perspective, but there's even like the Winter perspective. I mean, things like Ulf, uh, Ulf the Hammer and Underground Spring, they like straight up gain you base HP. And there are times when I play like those winter spells with uh, Ulf and Underground Springs where I invest so much into just giving myself an uh, absurd amount of base HP that in the late game, I can just ignore almost all of their units and just focus on pressuring them because my base HP is like 30 or, or more and it can just take the damage like no problem. Like that kind of value, that kind of having that kind of resource and recognizing you have that resource can really give you that advantage of the game. And it's not something to shrug off for sure. Because I mean, ultimately, base HP is what decides the winner of the game, right? It doesn't matter if you win the game at one health or 20 health. So that's why I think another example of great value on using your base health as a resource is chip damage from overchargers or boomers. It invests a little bit of damage now in the payoff of future damage, but overchargers is a terrible tempo play on four mana, right? Like boomers don't move any more and, uh, Right, boomers had movement before. Am I remembering? You know, you were right. dark yeah, times, yeah. very dark times. <laughs> we, we had a whole, we had a whole drunken episode where you and I went back and forth on those boomers shouldn't move because of the chestnuts. <laughs> right, the but when those boomers did move, you know, the the tempo was great. Now they're a, a poor tempo play, and really, you're just playing them to invest in the chip damage so that you can finish your opponent off down the road. Like It's the same mechanic as that health gain, just kind of in reverse, offensively mm-hmm. focused instead of defensively focused. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I make the joke like during my streams, I'm like, oh, you know, I could, uh, I could put Ulf in their base, but I could also just gain a lot of HP. That's like the same <laughs> as damaging them, right? Effectively, is it could be? It could be. But that's that's a numbers game. You gain less than you deal. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's why I said it was mostly a joke. (laughs) Mostly a joke, but you never, you know, sometimes you're trying to play around those overchargers, and you're at three health. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely. It's definitely those kind of plays that require you to really dissect the situation and what your priorities and what are the things you're looking out for to decide what the best uh, decision is. So those are more of a case-by-case basis type of thing. So for people listening who are trying to understand, you have these resources, you can convert them into either tempo or value. Different deck styles will prefer to invest the resources differently. So 
Heck, Reckless Rush's uh, uh, Swarm deck, it invests all the mana into tempo. And it also invests all the mana, like some of the life gain into tempo. Just forget it. All of it goes to tempo. Uh, well, I shouldn't, I sh- actually shouldn't say all of it because... It's just a serious focus on tempo compared for, to... For, for sure. But there is a Potion of Growth, which is a value play. So... Uh, Sort of. Sort of. I, I, I suspect he tends... It is a value play, right? You're investing in that unit strength now with the assumption that it'll pay off next turn. But correct. because you play Forgotten Souls in your Reckless Rush it, deck. Correct. It allows, you to, it allows you to convert a value play into immediate tempo because of Forgotten Souls. Mm-hmm. Which me, is the same... Just, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, let me just mention now that it's not easy to just uh, go black and white saying like, oh, this is a tempo play. Oh, this is a value play. Uh, what we want to drive forward is that tempo and value is a spectrum. And we'll talk about more of that later. But uh, in the Reckless Rush type of uh, situation, uh, that deck kind of lies very, very far towards the tempo side of the spectrum. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I think that deck defines the tempo side. Of the <laughs> um, so uh, guys, give me a couple of tempo examples. Sabaiku, give me some, uh, give me an example of uh, a trade-off between stats and movement in a tempo environment. You know, so we talked about this already a little bit, gifted recruits versus lawless herd, for example, one more strength versus one more movement. Um, I think the important thing to understand is that a good tempo deck will focus mostly on a compromise between the two. You can have one or two units that don't move. You can have two or three units that move two but aren't as strong, but you can't really swing the pendulum too far in either direction. You know, for a good example, I think you should look at a typical Swarm mid-range deck, which plays something like Doppelbox and Pan Heralds and Dreadfonds and Bucks. The focus there is on the value of buffing your units after you played them, but a lot of those units just do not have movement and cannot be played particularly defensively. So they are not actually a great example of a tempo deck, even though you're playing Swarm and that's something you tend to think of as a a faction that lends itself toward high tempo plays. We talked a little bit about conditional cards that have unusually high tempo. I think Hearth Guards, for example, is very good to demonstrate what I'm talking about here. If you play it on your base or if you play it next to a structure, it has both high strength and high movement, and that's huge. Same with Twilight Prowlers. The problem with Twilight Prowlers is that because of the condition it has to be next to your base, it doesn't have the same high tempo impact that Hearthguard does. You cannot play it offensively in the same way. Yeah, I can even give you a, a, a more value-oriented two-drop. Are you ready? Hit me. Oh, what is it? Unstable build. The most amount of stats on the board that could never possibly threaten your opponent's life total. <laughs> for two mana. Right? Because that, right. that's what it's, it is. It's, At the end of the day, it's it's putting... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a value investment. I'm trying to hold my front. That's why I play it. I don't play it to win the game. No one has ever won yeah. the game by playing unstable build. Yeah. And like you said, it is a value investment because it can so very easily be comboed with a two mana fortification tonic. And bam, yes. that's some serious tempo, right? <laughs> well, it will be, right? At that point, when you convert it. So that's the point of value, right? The value value on its own is kind of pointless if it never gets converted to tempo at some point. Mm-hmm. But that's what control decks try to do, is they try to invest, invest, delay, delay, and then there's this swing turn. And 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 for those of you who've ever gotten to experience those kinds of swing turns, they are some of the most rewarding turns in any card game when that aggressor has been, you know, throwing punches at you, throwing punches at you. You've been, you know, parrying as much as you can. And then suddenly you convert your value to tempo. And yeah, oh and my. So that segues really nicely to some very obvious of value examples um, with like the control play style where um, it kind of prioritizes value-oriented gameplay to keep that um, resource advantage over your opponent and then eventually converting that into tempo. Things like, uh, let's say, Void Surges, right? Or AoE cards, Victors or 
Bladestorm. Um, these are the kind of value uh, value cards that can really give you a a serious resource advantage over their opponents by um dealing with multiple cards by using just one or uh straight up uh clearing their front line, which is actually taking tempo away from your opponent because like we mentioned tempo is not just strength on the board but also how far and how much space they have to work with so uh, having those kind of value cards that give you that advantage over the opponent which doesn't um directly translate into winning the game because i mean clearing the front line doesn't on its own win the game but when you convert that advantage into tempo such as like um now that you've spent very little mana to clear the uh, enemies compared to what the enemy has spent putting all of them now you have extra extra resources from the advantage you gain to play your tempo cards and finally convert that advantage into something useful in winning the game yeah i can't tell you how many times it happened to me early on when i had like level 14 base i'd be playing reckless rush i go first i put two units down i'm feeling good my opponent passes I put two more <laughs> units down. I'm thinking I've won this game. And then level five Bladestorm just clears the whole board. And there went four <laughs> cards of mine. My front and everything. And I'm just like, okay, well, let's start over, shall we? Yeah. And I, I mean, like when you, uh, like something as oppressive as like Void Surgers, right? I mean, when you play Void Surgers to just like clear units, like, if you played Void Surgers as, like, let's say your first card, uh, and you cleared, like, two or three units, you don't need to devote your other three cards into clearing the units. You can now devote it into building your tempo. And this is the kind of um, significance and impact that value can give you in terms of winning the game. Other examples of value doesn't have to just be AoE, but things like, uh, well, I mean, on-death effects, you know, chip damage especially. I mean, that's straight up taking hp from the enemy and bring you closer to winning the game but it doesn't provide you that kind of board presence as many other cards can probably do better right like we're like from the overcharger's perspective like um as a four mana drop it really doesn't give that much tempo but it does give a lot of value because it brings the opponent closer to uh zero hp and these are the kind of things you find with value it's not enough to win the game tempo is kind of seems to be uh, the biggest way, the most obvious way to win the game. But value makes it so much easier to uh, convert your advantage to tempo. Uh, like, I mean, <laughs> I know right. we've mentioned before, but like structures, right? I mean, those investment cards like True Shot, Frozen Core, even Upgrade Point, those are the kind of stuff that don't win the game on their own, but they can seriously help you in uh, not having to devote as much resources as you would normally need to win the game in the long run. And that's the kind of stuff you find in value. And I think that we need to hammer that point home that really when you're playing for value at some point, you have to leverage that resource investment into a win. To to back back to what you said about upgrade point, it doesn't win you the game on its own when you play it, even if you play it next to some constructs. But when you get to continually trigger that effect and build up the board that your opponent can't deal with, then you start to outvalue them. Yeah, for sure. There there are decks that have been so far down the value uh, end of the spectrum that they don't even have a runner, right? Like Yeah, like, like winter spells. <laughs> like winter spells. Or well no, but I've seen I've seen Fort Tonic Mia upgrade point construct decks that had zero runners and it was just all about trying to make the largest board of giant friggin' minions possible. And just crawl down one one row at a time. Right. Those decks would beat a winter control deck for sure because there's so much value being put on the board that no AoE could ever possibly clear all of it. But there are times where they can be out-tempoed, right? Rush decks can beat those decks because they can just run around it. And before you have time to convert all that value into actual base mm -hmm. damage right it, it never gets converted to tempo fast enough in comparison to a rush deck which is tempo from the get-go and and so that's why you need a blend you need to this is the add a finisher portion of the conversation <laughs> right? uh, it is possible to win a pure value game but only against control decks all right well I guess another really important thing to uh, drive home is that I know we talk a lot about tempo versus value, but it's not black and white. 
so is life <laughs> um, it is a spectrum it it's like a like the far side would be tempo and the other far side would be value and uh, if we were to fit like the three archetypes uh for each like faction uh rush would be far in the tempo side and the control would be far in the value side and right in the middle we have some really nice balance and that's what we call mid-range you t- you say that rush decks have a high tempo but even there you'll see something like shady ghoul for example when you play it to open the game on three mana you're playing a weak unit it has one strength although admittedly two movement but where that unit gets its power is from its value on the on depth effect it'll you're playing a weak unit now to invest in your future positioning in holding the front for your later turns um so it's definitely not black and white like you said but i agree with you that cards that combine tempo and value together are really especially powerful um to what you said earlier about void chargers you can remove with one card you can remove two cards three cards four cards that your opponent has played while also simultaneously putting a body on the board the body doesn't have great stats for the mana but the fact that you're also removing your opponent's play multiple units with one unit of your own more mana than you spent with five mana of your own allows you to do other things with your mana while also putting a body on the board it's a nice combination of tempo and value and that's why it sees so much play right now right and but it but it is very dependent as we talked about like level five my opponent hasn't played a single unit on the board i play it i'm playing a five mana six health unit meh it's really not all that great tempo right it doesn't even have movement it's just kind of weak and it sits there however at its maximum if my opponent for whatever reason decided to make me a donut it can do 48 points of damage and remove eight units from the board right like that's an insane amount of value potentially true but i want to point out the difference between void chargers and something like blade storm right blade storm is also dead in your hand if your opponent doesn't play units but at least void chargers you can put something on the board there's a modicum of tempo there correct yeah. yes it's it's just a very expensive lawless herd very very uh it's very good though in e- uh, in equals or like the lower levels with <laughs> six oh, for sure. <laughs> okay, so now that we've talked about all of this, what do we want to do with this information? So we talked about the application toward deck building, right? Lower your curve and add a finisher is popular advice for a reason because when you're trying to understand how to build a deck, you have to understand what the goal of your deck is. If you're playing a high value deck without the appropriate cards that let you do things like manipulate your mana or uh, leverage your base health, then your deck is going to not work and you're not going to understand that it's not because of how you're playing it and it's not because of your card levels, it's because you built it with a focus in the wrong area there's only 12 cards in your deck you don't have a card for every situation it's just not practical you have to understand why you're building your deck what your deck is trying to do and then put in the right cards that support that and those cards are probably going to have a mix of tempo and value but which what the correct ratio is really depends on what you're trying to do there so arthas you play a lot of control talk to me about how important it is to understand the correct timing for switching from value to tempo this this takes a lot of experience and a lot of like limit testing as i call it when i am trying to learn a new deck that i built um I, I tend to uh, test out what are the best times you want to invest in certain things, such as like knowing when when the best moments to play something like True Shot is, or is it better to just play two units instead of True Shot? What's so, what I love so much about Control is how much um, insight and in-depth thinking that is required to make the optimized plays because there is a very delicate balance. And 
with control or with the control archetype being far on the value side of the spectrum and like we mentioned before value on its own isn't enough to win the game you need to eventually convert that into something that will win you i i guess it's really hard to explain but it really does go into experience because there are a lot of very uh particular cases where you would prefer to uh, not use your value cards maybe save them for later for something more optimal like oh if there's only like two enemies uh, i'll just play void surges next turn bait them on that side and i'll play it for incredible value and then i can invest on my my units to pressure later on it's 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 really hard to explain real like right now in a very short amount of time but um you have to remember that value isn't enough and you need to convert that kind of like resource advantage that you get from the value into something that does win you the game uh, a lot of the times it makes it easier for control players to uh gravitate towards chip cards because chip cards are what probably one of the easiest ways to convert your resource into something that wins you the game i mean if you only spent if you didn't need to spend that much mana on clearing the enemies then now you have extra mana to finally play something like needle blast or ubis the hunter and that's something that a control player has to learn it's how to uh, manage their advantage and resources into something that will win you in the long run you know it might be why winter control is the most popular control archetype because when you play Aaron and Gift of the Wise, it's real easy to figure out when you're supposed to convert to tempo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> but, that, but that goes back to our original point about how value cards that are board state dependent can be, like Void Surgers, incredibly swingy. And they can turn a game in your favor, but sometimes they can be duds. But value cards that are guaranteed every time reliable are insane. And Gift of the Wise, Aaron, that combination, freebooters on top of it. So now not only do I get a mana advantage, but I also then get a card advantage. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And it's guaranteed. There's there's never a time where you're like, well, actually, they didn't have enough units on the board. So Aaron doesn't trigger. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's no condition to be met. All you have to do is have the cards in your hand. It's it's a it's a for sure the most reliable control faction because of gift. Uh, Sabaiku, we've talked a lot about how tempo cares first and foremost about smashing your opponent's face, and then the second rule of swarm rush is you also smash your opponent in the face. But on occasion, tempo does actually have to make a decision about trying to remove some of your opponent's value from the board does it not it does happen unfortunately some of the times you do have to play defense <laughs> unfortunately you have to think about the other half of the game oh, man. <laughs> Rush when you're facing <laughs> <laughs> when you're facing an opponent who maybe uh out levels you when you're worried about runners because you've let some units go by in an effort to keep your own front you might have to play conservatively but also just in the opening turns you know when you have five mana and you're gonna play two units if you're gonna play for example uh lime limbs and gifted recruits on five mana because that's what you have in your hand and it uses your mana efficiently. It plays the most cards that you can. Putting those Lime Limbs just directly into the opponent's base on on an early turn might not be the right thing to do. You're not looking for that kind of value from the chip damage. Not yet. You're looking for the value from holding your front because if you get cleared you're not getting any additional damage in um yeah understanding when do you go all in on base damage and when do you play a little bit more conservatively it's you know like arthur said it, it's situational it's very difficult to try to explain in a, a you know 30 or 60 second bite in the podcast but it's definitely something you need to understand the cards in your deck why they're there and what they're supposed to do yeah i'll i'll go back a couple of months now but um back back when harold's hymn cost six and hysteria cost two hysteria uh in reckless's uh rush deck was my favorite card i can't tell you how many mirror matches i won where my opponent was clearly setting up for a Herald's Hymn on six, 
But on my turn six, I would play Devastators into a corner, protected, and then Hysteria two of his units together, taking what should usually be an offensive card and use it as a two-mana defensive value play to remove my opponent's uh, uh, resources from the board just enough such that Harold's Hymn is no longer lethal, but the Devastators will be. Uh, you know, th- those kinds of plays, I-, I don't know that there's like an easy, here's a manual for understanding when you're playing tempo, when to use a card for value, kind of like, you know, bulleted list of, you know, or, or flow chart kind of thing. Like you just, to-, to Arthur's point, I think you just need to play the deck long enough to be uh, comfortable and familiar with how each of the cards can be used in the alternative form. So you think of it as a tempo card, but sometimes it can be value. Um, And and to have an understanding of when it's appropriate to do so. Prior to that, though, what we're trying to help here is understanding how to build a deck so it has that flexibility. A pure value deck will fail. A pure tempo deck will fail. You need to have some amount of blend within the spectrum, but also that blend varies wildly depending upon, to Sabaiku's point, what are you trying to do with the deck in the first place? (laughs) If nothing else, I've hoped we help players understand that execution is never a good choice for your rush deck. That's exactly right. (laughs) Execution has zero tempo. It is a pure value play. Get it out of there. Stop, please. And on the other side, I mean, a control deck, summon militia is probably not the best in terms of uh, stalling the game and uh, removing the enemy's board presence. (laughs) Yeah, no. And you You can get it for free from your Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) What value? What amazing value? (laughs) Well... That ends the uh, main portion of this episode, um, which means that it's time for me to remind you to please follow us on Twitter at BroodSages. Again, you can always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. I don't believe we've received too much in the way of listeners' comments from last time. I will give a quick apology to anyone who got the uh, bonus uh, episode of me reading uh, bedtime stories. It was just kind of a whimsical thing to do last week because I missed doing this with my uh, my two buddies here. Guys, I really did miss doing this last week, um, uh, but uh, I'm glad we're back doing it again this week. Uh, Arthas, what do you think? Was the week off okay? I think it was. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> I got surprised. It was like, oh, I have to do a podcast today. <laughs> Forgot about <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Spoken like a true college kid. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I, I definitely, I missed it. This is really fun to do with you guys. And Sabaiku, how about you? I don't enjoy this at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, he's just a paid actor. That's it. <laughs> Rolling in the dough. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. For Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages, reminding you to please stay hydrated.